The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast. You won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. In a world gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels, only one podcast has the guts to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Smack My Pitch Up. I hope you appreciated the last episode that we did, which was on Inner Space, an 80s classic comedy sci-fi film by Joe Dante. Absolute blast. Uh, this week, we are getting into the 90s, the mid-90s, actually, with a absolute cult classic sci-fi movie. Really, anything that this director has done becomes a cult classic. Yeah, I think he kind of specializes, and that's what he's aiming for, is the cult mo- uh, movie freaking niche. Absolutely. And this is one of those films that it reached a bigger audience than some of his other films because it is a little bit more approachable commercially, but it's still got that classic weirdness to it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what we're talking about is 12 Monkeys, the Terry Gilliam film from uh, 95 or 96? 96. 96. It was 96. Yeah. Okay. And... We know that this was based on a short uh, French short film, and then it was then later done into a TV series on Sci-Fi Network. We are talking specifically about the movie 12 Monkeys by Terry Gilliam, the one that is the most appreciated out of all of the versions of this. Absolutely. So um, that's what we're going to be focusing on for our reboot, remake, reimagining. For those unfamiliar with how we do things around here on Smack My Pitch Up, we basically come up with our own ideas on what we would do for a... Reboot, remake, sequel, sidequel, reimagining, uh, mashup, adaptation of a different property each episode. So tonight it's 12 Monkeys. Mm-hmm. And uh, with me, to help me figure out what we're going to be doing with this uh, this film is Jack, my uh, my dungeon master extraordinaire, uh, guest on Booze Clues and has been on this show as well. Yep. You were on, uh, what, what was the... Yeah, last time was um, uh, Last Starfighter. Last Starfighter, which yeah. you did see they announced that they are making a sequel to The Last Starfighter. You know, they've been announcing that one since the 90s, and I'll believe it when I see a trailer. Uh, apparently, it was announced during San Diego Comic-Con, which means it doesn't mean yes, for I, sure. I mean, but it, it it's a much better chance, better chance now. now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, we went with the 80s last time. We're going mm-hmm. with the 90s this time. Right. This movie holds a special place in my heart, personally. Because this is the movie I watched when I first got drunk. Oh, <laughs> that's a mind bender. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Clearly, I, I saw this movie super late because I was definitely 21. I definitely wasn't under 21. Absolutely. 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 Yeah, I was I was the week after my 21st birthday is when... See, I always feel like the weirdo because I'm the only one in our group who actually did start drinking much after it was legal. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't, I was 23 when I had my first drink. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Man, nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. I had to experience the mind bender freaking films uh, sober. So cool. like this, um, Event Horizon, oh, Ninth wow. Gate. Okay. I saw all these movies like around the same year in so my life. Hanging out with my uh, cinephile friends watching the the classic 
cult classic movies that you get into when you're a teenager and becoming mm-hmm. a lover of film. Right. We were watching, you know, Slacker and uh, and the Kevin Smith movies. Of and course. Then all the classic sci-fi stuff, which included this. Well, this was not classic at the time. This was yeah. brand new in right. the 90s. I think Kevin Smith was that, was that director that you get introduced to. is like, if you're a creative person and you hope to one day actually make it, this is your goal. Yeah. This, this is your idol. It made you realize that you could do this stuff yourself. Yeah. And while being an absolute fucking nerd while doing it. Oh, absolute nerd. Yeah. So, and that's what this show is all about, is actually just nerding out on actors and directors and film in general. The way this works, we both come up with ideas for both a take that we think might actually work and a take that's just a a fun version of it, whether it be just funny or just a weird choice for for a direction on a remake or or reboot or something for the the film or, or TV show at hand. And, uh... Yeah, we just take turns talking about directors and the characters and what we would do with the storyline to either modernize it or just kind of change the, change the plot a little bit to give it its own life outside of just being a direct remake. We don't want to do right. the Brian De Palma psycho treatment yeah, of I'm, shot for shot. That's an interesting like film school kind of like project, but I don't think that actually works as an actual outing as a movie. The only time I could see it happening and even then I'm not too stoked on it is when it's a say foreign language film that's being adapted into an English language film or vice versa. But even then a good example is there was a film called funny games. It was uh-huh. a, a horror film that was, I think German and it, w- it was redone shot for shot by the same director. Hmm. And I was like, you don't believe in, dubbing or subtitles it's, it's the same freaking movie and honestly like there was just some nuances to the acting in the german film that i liked better but it was almost I, a carbon copy yeah i think that's something that you know when you translate from one culture to another like how K- gilliam was adapting a french short film into what became 12 monkeys sure there's some some like echoes of the french impressionist stuff when you watch the actual movie and you can sure. tell you know, that's where Gilliam was getting his ideas from. But I think the, when you change over cultures, you have to change at least parts, uh, uh, at least parts of the structure, because film language in France, especially in the 1970s and 80s, is very different than American film language, especially in the 90s and 2000s, when they're really trying to break the mold and rechange what it meant to be cinema mm-hmm. in America. And what I love right now and why this kind of is part of the conversation is that there is so much. I was having this discussion with Groots of Beautiful Disasters podcast the other yeah. night that film right now, the main major auteurs of film for the most part are working in genre film. That's yeah. the horror and sci-fi, the weird, just out outside the box thinking filmmaking and, and storylines are really heavily on the genre side right now. So oh, yeah. something as uh, artistic as say a Terry Gilliam film. Mm-hmm that's always been seen as kind of an auteur approach to the uh, medium. I'm kind of interested to see how we would adapt this. Now, yeah. are you looking to do this as a, like a period piece, or are you updating it to be a, kind of a modern take? Well, I think that's the beautiful thing about the fact that it's a time travel movie. You can put it anywhere, and it's still a time travel movie. Sure. So you can have parts of it in 1996. You can still have parts of it that you know occur in other parts, uh, other timelines, other locations, other you know, eras, and it still works. You know, me personally, I would like to have at least part of the movie happen still in 1996, because in my way of seeing it, it's, I want it to be Rashomon, but for time travel. Okay. I don't want just one movie that kind of 
picks up parts of the pieces that you know uh, Gilliam left behind with 12 Monkeys. I want multiple movies that all intertwine with each other in the same moments, just at different points in their stories. The way, um, yeah, like take Pulp Fiction, where those moments where they cross over from the beginning wrap around back in the end, but it's actually in the middle of the story. Sure. Have that, but like two, three, four movies. Wow. Okay. Like, and I want characters to come back in other movies, and it was all filmed at the same time, but it's Rashomon. It's like everyone's different perspective on what happened. Wow. Okay. And when I get more into like where I'm coming from, it's part of it is from the original French short film, but also it's these implications that Gilliam left in 12 Monkeys was that, uh, it's not all just one plan. They're changing the plan as they go, as they get more information. Sure. So you have different ideas on how to fix everything. Well, who's to say they're the only ones trying to fix things or they're the only ones trying to break it even more. Yeah. So take out more movies and I want to see factions of time travelers trying to fix and or break what happened in 1996. Well, I think that whole fixing it or breaking it part is what makes 12 monkeys such an interesting time travel movie for me is that we discussed this during the live uh, galaxy con mm-hmm. episode that we did on time travel for geeks under the influence is that uh 12 monkeys is a singular timeline uh time travel movie where everything that you do was supposed to have happened yeah it's so a closed loop closed loop so it there isn't whole, a whole multiverse situation it's that mm-hmm. it, it, like the did i give him the idea for the 12 monkeys Right. The name of the 12 Monkeys was given to Brad Pitt's character by Bruce Willis. Right. So that was always meant to happen. And the, if he didn't go back in time, then he wouldn't have gotten the idea. Now, that wouldn't have done anything with the virus. The virus would have happened anyway. Right. But they wouldn't have gone on the wild goose, goose chase of the 12 Monkeys. And me personally, I wouldn't change that in any kind of remake of the movie. I wouldn't change that the virus got out. No, well, agreed. The only thing that I would do is sort of play with the idea that these scientists sent back dozens of people and they weren't seen again because they got lost in the timeline. Okay. And you keep having these moments where, you know, Bruce Willis's character is walking around and you have that street preacher who's like, you're one of us. Yeah. And he's exactly the same kind of guy that you see in an earlier scene about having been in like the 14th century. I want to expand on characters like that. Okay. That's what I want. I want to see all the other time travelers and I want to see if, I want like a perspective that says maybe the scientists gave this guy specific instructions and they gave this guy conflicting instructions. Maybe they were playing them against each other on purpose. Now, this does have a little bit of a similarity, your idea, to the Netflix series Travelers. I haven't seen it. It is fantastic. Now, it's different enough. It's not like a direct carryover, but basically there are people that are sent from the future to the past Mm -hmm. with specific instructions on their one job they have to do. And there are different teams basically that are doing their one thing yeah. and they're not told why they're not told what to expect as a reaction to it, how it's changing the future, but everybody right. has the little cog in the wheel. To yeah. Make things work and the, the plans change as things are successful or they don't change the future the way it was supposed to. Yeah. So uh, it, it's kind of in that whole, lots of different people having little minor tasks that they have to complete. And I think it would be interesting because you can still have that one complete arc and you can still have, the Terry Gilliam mind-bending experience of, is this real? Am I going crazy? Sure. Have I been crazy this entire time? And have, like, 
a completely different story happen on on the side that's still in that same genre, but they have a completely different story to go through. Sure. And the idea that they have different goals in mind kind of plays with that. And, you know, I just, I, I like the idea of an expansive universe, something that feels lived in, something that feels like it could go in any direction at any time. Sure. And Gilliam really set that up with 12 Monkeys as being like, anyone could be here. Any any of the people around uh, the characters at any point in the entire movie could have been another traveler. Sure. What I uh, think I'm going to be trying to do more with, with mine instead of like the, the teams. And I, I really want to, like you had mentioned before, the whole, is this happening in my head? Mm-hmm. I really want to play that up a little bit more as much as Gilliam did a fantastic job of you kind of second guessing almost at, at different points yeah. in the film. I really want to play up the idea that you're never really sure for sure. Mm-hmm. Kind of that inception kind of approach to it where even at the end, you're not entirely sure whether this was all part of his psychotic break or not. Yeah. And a part of the way to do that, I think just a little plot device change is that time travel itself murkies the memory so yeah it's kind of a combination of being having like little glimpses of his own personal memory from his childhood and growing up mm-hmm. and then his memory from the future and then it just getting kind of conflicting with his current experiences in that environment just time travel itself yeah. makes the memory work differently in this almost backwards kind of way and i think the editing was really done perfectly for this that gilliam like introduces the memory as the first scene sure and then he carries it through and he and you progressively get a little bit more and more and more of the memory. And as you find out who's in the memories is when Bruce Willis's character is starting to realize, oh, I've met that person, but later and I didn't realize it was that person. Yep. But if you're watching it, it's like, well, yeah, you think it's that person now. If you're having the same dream over and over and over again, the people just become whoever you want them sure. to be in that moment. And he left a lot of echoes in there that gave you enough doubt about whether or not the character actually was crazy. Sure. Or he actually was from the future. I love it. I love the ambiguity. It, and I, I, I don't want all the answers. I want the ambiguity because that's important absolutely. to telling the story. And I think just kind of amping up that the, is he crazy or is he from the future? I am presupposing that like it could be both. Yeah. That the it's set up in the original that time travel is wears on your mind. And yeah. That's a constant theme throughout the, Mm -hmm. film so to suggest that he is going a little bit nuts he is coming off his his gourd a little bit but that doesn't prevent the fact that he might still be telling the truth you know right and i think it's worth noting that the reason one of the reasons why this movie seems so complete and whole and like just well done and perfect is it's one of the first times that uh, that gilliam was allowed to have complete editorial control he had director's cut on release Excellent. This was one of those movies. Uh, this was the first movie that he actually had where he had no in- studio interference. Um, even Brazil had a lot of studio interference and it actually made him wary to work with these guys again sure. to make this movie because he didn't want his vision to get obscured. The hopeful ending at the end of Brazil kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Where he was later able to change it. But... Yeah. You you get director cuts and you get like sure. re-releases and all that to you know kind of put the things back together like the way Blade Runner wasn't a good movie until you get like 30 cuts down the line um the original release of 12 monkeys was exactly what vince gilliam wanted out of it and i think that's or one of the terry gilliam sorry terry gilliam <laughs> vince gilligan and terry sorry 
I'm drinking. No, for um, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why this movie struck so well, and I think it's why it's so beloved, is because it is exactly a one artist vision sure without interference and that's very rare in film because it's a very much a collaborative well, art form you're getting a lot more now with say like netflix original series and stuff because yeah. that, that's kind of replaced the middle ground movie the 30 million 40 million dollar film you don't really see a lot of those anymore you get the super indie budget ones yeah or you get the 100 million dollar plus movies so th- those are kind of fallen their way into television and streaming services especially that's that, that's a whole bigger discussion about yeah, the true. media landscape that we are in these days now with uh 12 monkeys there is one thing that i kind of with the pushing the the crazy a little bit more of the mm-hmm. character i did want to kind of approach instead of him faking that he's not going crazy or that he's still believing that he's in the future you know that's yeah, yeah. his permanent place more so that he is having doubts, but he's made so much leeway with the 12 monkeys, with the psychiatrist, with major important people mm-hmm. that he has an in to discover things about the situation that other people would have to start at square one with. So even against their better judgment as he is, is wearing away and he I is acting that, crazier yeah. that they kind of have to keep going with this dude because he has, it's the, like, he's got means. one more, you know, good trip in him. Exactly. You know? Kind of where the, they're, they're preparing for him to just, like just it's, lose it completely go brain dead it's that it. moment when you're looking at your car and you realize i really need to change all of my tires but i've got a, a road trip this weekend and only 200 bucks in my pocket i'll risk it it'll be fine it'll be yeah. fine that's that's with bruce willis's head that is or the the character the, of james the, cole right yeah so uh I, I like that we were both kind of giving proper respect to the original yeah but just kind of like changing slight things about the uh overall story now with how we do this normally is the director that we normally choose kind of informs the direction, the tone of mm-hmm. the, of the film or the version that we want to do. So I want to go down the serious ones first. Okay. Um, do our serious. And then we can just kind of jump through all our funny, uh, before we get yeah. into the mashups and right, everything right. else. So, uh, who do you have for your serious director? Uh, I wanted to really lean into the whole mind bender aspect and you're not quite sure what's up and what's down sure. with it. And I think a director who could really pull that off would be uh, Jim Jarmusch. Ooh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think he he encapsulates just enough weird and just enough psychedelic to really pull off. Is this exactly what's happening or is this just what the guy thinks is happening? Sure. And uh, with the way he, he works with the camera and the way he edits dialogue, I think it would be just choppy and energetic enough to where you start to doubt what is actually going on. And that was a major mark that I wanted to hit with mine as well, is that you're always kind of second guessing the situation, whether it's Mm -hmm. real or not. Uh, That really leans heavily on kind of the spirit of the original. And yeah, Jim Jarmusch, not only is he a great writer of dialogue, but his quirk on his films are, are so so individual to him, but I think could work with this material. Like he, the man makes, Shakespeare look like an acid trip and that's that's some that takes some talent that takes some serious amount of talent yeah right uh for mine I wanted to go with a director that could definitely be a uh mind bender mm-hmm. on his own and some uh, somebody that uh really takes the auteur approach to filmmaking but maybe on a slightly more serious tone than yeah. uh Gilliam always had kind of a wink to the audience with his filmmaking as well he knew that he was being campy at parts and oh yeah kind of leaned on it a little bit, which I deeply appreciate. I've never had complaints about that at all. Yeah. This this uh, director definitely approaches it in a more serious tone. 
But the thing is, the films are usually so good that he pulls it off. Yeah. <laughs> that it doesn't come off as uh, pretentious. Fine line. With, 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 yeah, well, I mean, usually doesn't come off as pretentious, uh, for the <laughs> most part. Uh, I decided to go with Darren Aronofsky. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And he rides that line of like b- right between pretension and just real genuine auteur art yeah. filmmaking. And that there's a guy who can actually pull off like acid trip on a f- on film. If you have not had the opportunity to watch The Fountain, if you're talking about a trip of a movie. Now, yeah, I have issues with that movie yeah. here and there, but uh, the overall feel of just completely I can I can I can say this. I saw that I was excited to see that movie in theaters when it first came out and visually it is one of the most stunning gorgeous films I've ever seen. You talk about like when you raise film to an art form to a point of like you want to put this on display and you want people to see this for ages. The visuals that he pulled off in The Fountain was in in no small way pure art. The story was absolute fucking shit. The story was a little bit... It was, it was trying to be a little too artsy, I guess, in its delivery yeah. of... Um, there are plenty of auteur art, artists that uh, do that as well. Like, yeah. another one that I considered was uh, Lars von Trier. Mm-hmm. That definitely goes to the, like, disturbing and upsetting approach without really kind of con- making sure the connective tissue of the story is still there yeah. sometimes. But I almost went with uh, Jean-Pierre Genet, director of City of Lost Children and Delicatessen. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a very well-known French director that also, I mean, this coming from a French, French film. short film, yeah. and if, especially if you look at like City of Lost Children, there's that kind of yeah. almost steampunky, futury kind of broken down tone right. that Twelve Monkeys has. But I felt that was just a little too on the nose that it would it would be that uncanny valley of being too close to the original without giving yeah. it. So I wanted to give it a little bit more distance. I feel like Aronofsky has enough of a different tone. He's he's definitely pulled off auteur in, in a way that actually is respectable. Yeah. And a lot of people who consider themselves auteur directors are pretentious um, in, in just from my humble view. But sure. Ar- Aronofsky definitely has a visual style that I think would work. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe let somebody else do the screenwriting. But that's I'm not against that. I am not (laughs) not against that. Um, Yeah, just to get a little bit of the overly heady stuff. I mean, definitely go heady with this. You can you can have a lot of fun. His dialogue is a little harder to get through than than some others. Sure, Uh, that's one of the reasons why I liked uh, Jarmusch was expressly, well, not exclusively, but uh, his dialogue is pretty snappy, but still feels organic. That's kind of what I love about his films is that it almost seems like he didn't write a script and then the, mm. the actors are actually coming up with it on a, their own. And I know that yeah. not to be true there. I mean, it's ad-libbing, but mm-hmm. there's still a script to go by. Yeah. It's just, it comes off. Yeah. So casual. I mean, just looking at the conversation between Iggy Pop and Tom Waits in Coffee and Cigarettes. So good. Is so brilliantly awkward. The pauses are brilliant. The conversations come off as this, like they... genuinely have respect for each other, but there is this almost kind of like competitive undertone in their conversation that is so present, but without being expressed, really. It's just, uh, it's beautiful. Absolutely stunning. So yeah, I think Jarmusch would be a really interesting uh, way to kind of approach 12 Monkeys. I think Aronofsky would definitely, I'm just really interested to see what that would look like. And the thing that I would give Aronofsky more credit for is the fact that he has played in the realm of science fiction a lot more than Jarmusch has. Sure. Jarmusch yeah. has generally been very contemporary. Yep. Um, he's done a couple of period pieces, but not by, not 
not Melanie. Um, but uh, Aronofsky's not afraid to go and do weird sci-fi. Sure. And Twelve Monkeys definitely falls in the realm of weird sci-fi for sure. Now for uh, the actors, mm-hmm. um, I decided to, I was really trying to think of an actor that could come off as the strong, almost borderline brute at certain points, but definitely has the ability to show vulnerability and yeah. and kind of come off as a little bit manic or or like scatterbrained at times and right. an actor that has absolutely shown himself to be able to do that comes from the marvel cinematic universe oh god now not one of the biggest names of the cinematic universe but i decided that uh sebastian stan with his use <sighs> of the winter soldier of playing a character whose brain's a little bit broken and also he, he has a strong like strong presence no he's a he's fantastic i love watching him um he's he's got a definite way of playing strength and he can just turn into a child if he needs to sure he is he's got great range and that's a for james cole the main character yeah willis's character yeah what i was thinking of for that but (laughs) but also additionally he has worked with aronofsky in the past he was in black swan yeah so he has familiar familiarity with the director Mm -hmm. he's played that kind of emotionally and mentally broken character before. Um, I, yeah. And I think he's the right age as well to be able to play in that, in that space relatively well. Yeah. Um, I, de- I can definitely see him there. Um, I, I, I did the same thing that you did though. I went to, I went to Marvel yeah. for my James <laughs> Cole. That's, that's why I was laughing so much. Um, I actually did it twice. Okay. <laughs> It's hard not to because the, the their cast of characters is so so amazing. Yeah, but fantastic. On, honestly, I came to I came to mind through his other work. Um, like as as great as he is to watch in Marvel movies, that there's a lot of times where they don't necessarily get the 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 range, the the exercise of their acting chops. Because it is movies. still action movies most of the time. Most so. of the time, but I you know like you, I wanted somebody who could play you know strong actiony kind of character but also somebody who could break down and have like an existential crisis in the middle of everything sure uh i went with jeremy renner Ooh, i like that too yeah he he has way more range than he's had the ability to really use in these it, it expressed a lot more in the last two real avenger movies right a little bit more with his family being involved and and more part of the storyline and everything but uh yeah, like I mean, as much as I like to, uh, as a veteran, like trash on the Hurt Locker as a movie, uh, he did very well in the Hurt sure, Locker yeah. as a character who, like, ha- is physically imp- strong, imposing action, you know. But he's got a lot of these moments where it's just like he realizes he's just made of meat and he's against like bombs and they could kill him at any moment. Sure. So that's, that's, kind of the the conveyance i want from a character in this uh in this sort of movie is that you know he's physically capable and he's he's mentally there at least at the start but after a while it wears on you and you start to realize oh wow this is this is huge and it could crush me at any moment you know when i first saw the hurt locker that was really the first time i, was, I knew about jeremy runner mm-hmm. i thought it was the kid from the first final destination movie <laughs> <laughs> like grown up yeah similar facial features a little bit but yeah Renner's a little bit thicker yeah he's not quite as beanpole as that dude but um yeah no i think that's a great choice i i think i didn't even think about renner that's that's solid yeah now there's uh the doctor Mm -hmm. the love interest uh catherine rayleigh Mm -hmm. and uh i wanted somebody again that was familiar with 
Aronofsky knew how to work in that space. I feel like a movie that's got this much weirdness going on, having Definitely. a kind of connection with the director and kind of knowing how they do their directing is right. immensely helpful in a situation like this, especially with an adaptation of something so well appreciated. Yeah. You you want to be able to not have to spend time trying to explain yourself to actors, some people that are willing to trust fall into it. Right. And uh, an actress that I'm, uh, I, I've got no po- apologies for having a huge crush on along with like the majority of film in likers eat also, or just girl likers really yeah. in general. A uh, little bit of J-Law, Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> in there. She was in Mother. Yeah. And she was able to stretch her acting chops a little bit. Like, I'd say probably some of her most interesting acting choices since Winter's Bone, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Because she got put into the action mode a lot when she came up. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook, Winter's Bone, and Mother. Probably the three that she really got to make some really interesting acting choices. Yeah. I think she's been given some great opportunities as far as like displaying range. Sure. Because it was very easy to fall into that rut uh, or, you know, typecasting of playing, you know, Katniss Everdeen forever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely. She's 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 displayed that she can can show like a full range of character. Well, and she's also expressed uh, a strength of her character. She can play a strong woman mm-hmm. in film. And I think that's important for this for this doctor is that. Yeah especially with the turn of not believing into believing there is this moment of like and not having wanting to convince to him yeah, and then having to con- the t- the tables have turned she yeah. now has to convince him that he's from the future right it's brilliant i love that turn and i you need somebody that's really able to be forceful with that conversation yeah so and as much as i enjoyed madeline stowe in the original uh i felt like there was a lot of moments where she felt too young for it okay and i kind of went the other direction Okay. Uh, I wanted somebody who was visibly older. Okay. Somebody who was definitely older than even the future Cole. Okay. Um, and but still somebody who could feel like warm and and like in, uh, endearing. Uh, but somebody who's willing to accept the strange and unusual. So uh, I, I went with myself. I'm strange and, and unusual. unusual. Yeah. No, I didn't go quite that far <laughs> okay. with it. Um, but that would have been brilliant too. That would have been actually. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that would she would have been great. Yeah, she would have been great. Uh, I went with Jillian Anderson. Okay, she could definitely play the like super intelligent, powerful doctor person because mm-hmm. well, she did. Yeah. Um. That was well. She's done it multiple times. She did it in X Files and she did it again in Hannibal. Yeah. Yeah. And she's shown fantastic range. I'm uh, catching up on American Gods. Dear and Lord, she is a chameleon in that. She absolutely is. The amount of fun she must have had playing that role in American Gods. Oh, if you was... follow if you follow her on Tumblr, you can see exactly how much fun she had. She <laughs> is she is definitely a Tumblr person. Oh like, yeah. If you've ever like really experienced somebody who is like, oh, you, Tumblr must be your primary social media outlet. That's Jillian Anderson. Okay, good to know. Yeah. You have to take a look at that. <laughs> Jillian Anderson, that's solid. Yeah. But also, I'm just, I have a huge crush on her. So, you who, know, oh darn. Who doesn't? Uh, anybody I mean, that's around on. our age that grew up watching X Files in the 90s. And if they haven't by now, I'm going to sit them in front of the TV and make them watch uh, American Gods. They'll have a crush on her in this generation, too. Yeah, absolutely. And she's still just stunning. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. There's some women that just, they, they look almost better as they age. There's also from uh, Spider Man. <laughs> Oh, Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei is a babe is from a every babe. day. Yes, every absolutely. day till the day I die. Always been a babe. I think she's more babely than she was when she was younger. Now, so cheers! On absolutely. That. 
I want to thank everybody that nominated us for the 2019 Richmond Best of for Best Local Podcast by the Times Dispatch and Richmond.com. This is the second year in a row we've been nominated and the second year in a row that they've actually done this category. Voting has just opened and will be open until the 21st of July, so definitely go to Times Dispatch or Richmond.com or just go to our homepage at GUIPodcast.com for a link to the categories for Richmond's Best of 2019. And make sure to vote for Geeks Under the Influence. You can vote once a day, and we appreciate it. Do you enjoy stories about drunk men on tractors T-boning a police car? Or someone jumping a gorge in a Nissan Versa? Or literally any story that comes out of Florida? Then you're going to love Booze Clues, the latest podcast on the Geeks Under the Influence Network. We do this show live every month in the darkroom in Richmond, Virginia. It is a cavalcade of comedians, podcasters, performers in an investigation or riff on drunken crimes and debaucherous activity around the world. Doors are at 7, show starts at 8, it's 21 up and free. Again, that's at the Dark Room, 2818 West Broad Street in the upstairs suite. For more information, go to GYPodcast.com. Speaking of, uh, you were nice enough to bring us some uh, some beverages to taste on oh yeah what are we uh what are you sipping here um okay so i went over to my local hipster shop and i decided to pick up some hipster i think they call it shoppy yeah whatever yeah um and uh these are both prairie artisan ales and uh the one i'm drinking on is called bomb uh they made in companionship with uh starship earth coffee company uh imperial stout aged on coffee cacao uh cocoa Cacao. cacao. Cacao nibs. I'm never yeah. not going to succumb to cacao. <laughs> yeah, after that video. Yeah. Uh, vanilla beans and chili peppers as 13% <laughs> ABV. Mine is also 13%, Jesus, uh, called Bible Belt. Yep. And it's an imperial stout aged on coffee, vanilla, chilies, and cacao nibs. And it's in collaboration with Evil Twin Brewing. And these are... Well, I'm glad I have air conditioning because this is not oh, sitting on my patio yeah. in this hundred degree weather we have today. Yeah, and sipping on these, these are heavy. Yeah, um, they're very tasty. I'm I'm very much enjoying it. But yeah. I'm just really glad that I've been in AC for a little while. Right, before popping this, these. Uh, like uh, as soon as I saw the label, I was like, "All right, this will be inter- an interesting journey." But then I saw the actual ABV. I'm like, "All right, this is." We're going to have to sit in the house for a little while before we start. I'm Geek Under the Influence. Anything over, I think, 12% we call a castrator. Yeah. Um, over 10% is a dick kicker. <laughs> so, um, And then I think ball fonder lush before that. So this is a full-on castrator at 13%. So, yep. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can taste it. This is a slow sipper for sure. Yeah. All right. So As I've been chugging it this whole time. Yeah, right. <laughs> Next one up is Brad Pitt's character, Jeffrey Goines, yes. which is such a weird last name choice, but, you know. I also like that it was Rayleigh, R-A-I, instead yeah. of Riley. Uh, it was just a weird little tweak. I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure he does that just to mess with the audience. Very possibly. But Jeffrey Goins, uh, Brad Pitt, this is early Brad Pitt. He was absolutely stunning in this yeah, role. I'm pretty sure this was before, Le- uh, he recorded this before Legends of the Fall even came out. Wow. And Legends of the Fall came out before this one did. So he did the filming first. That happens a lot. Especially with these smaller production sure. uh, levels. But he he filmed this, then he went on to do Legends of the Fall and a couple of other really big movies, and those all came out. Well, this in... was around the same time as Seven as well. Like Seven was, yeah, I think, a seven... couple years later. No, no, Seven was, was, around, uh, the was around the same time. Okay. Uh, seven and Legends of the Fall both came out before this, but he recorded, uh, he filmed them after he had done the work for this one. 
and they had gotten him for dirt cheap because n- almost nobody knew who he was. And he's just when he got twitching and just acting the shit out of his. I mean, chewing so much scenery. Oh, he's he he steals every moment he's on the screen. Absolutely. And what I what I personally love is that uh, Brad Pitt is an amazing actor from beginning to end, but Terry Gilliam, being you know the harsh taskmaster that he is, uh, wanted him to be more twitchy and more frantic as the character uh so to be able to accomplish this instead of just you know giving him you know better direction or like trying to coach him through certain moments it's like this is the vision i have for you he just stole brad pitt's cigarettes every time he was on set <laughs> and yeah that would do it that, that would, would definitely do it, do it. Do yeah it. if i was a cigarette fiend yeah it would be like okay so i'm just gonna act my face off so i can get my cigarettes back <laughs> And then also Nick fitting really hard, which definitely adds to the twitchy. Oh yeah, not having something to like keep your hands busy, so you're just no. I think I think that very much well played into the how the character acted. Although I think he felt a little more frantic in the first few scenes, but those are also the first few scenes where he's heavily medicated as a character. Sure. So you know, as he as he progresses forward, and you see the character later on, six years later, and he's like a little more in charge of how fucked up he is in his head well at that point it feels pretty clear to me watching it that i always saw it almost as that he has learned to put on the mask yeah that all the crazy is still absolutely there but he's learned to put on this false front for people to get over on them that it's like i'm not crazy (laughs) kidding i am i'm i'm just too smart for the room or whatnot yeah you know i'm still a charismatic individual who can attract an organization to convince them to go commit terrorism yeah basically i mean not basically yes that's that's what happened so uh for jeffrey goines i wanted an actor that had a commanding presence Mm -hmm. that just you know there are certain actors and or just people that have that they enter a room and people take notice right off the bat without really anything being said or done Mm -hmm. they just have that kind of commanding presence and part of the reason this actor's gotten the roles that he had is, is because of that presence and it's definitely a different take on the character i didn't want to play it the same way Pitt played it were really twitchy and, and manic and, and wild because yeah. then you're just trying to repeat the same thing over again. True enough. So I wanted something that maybe would fit with the tone of a Aronofsky film. So maybe something a little bit more brooding, mm-hmm. a little darker, a little more kind of classic schizophrenic kind of um, like depressive schizophrenic kind of approach to yeah. uh, the role and an actor that has definitely proven his chops are well past his age that would be interesting to play against Sebastian Stan as the kind of like strong, very well put together, like like solid person. Right. And then you get Bill Skarsgård <laughs> to come in and just creep up the fucking scene. <laughs> I can see that. I can definitely see that. All, um, he definitely can, can play creepy. Yeah. He, he can play very dark. Um, well, kind of what I'm looking at it being more is that the creepy, I think, comes out almost naturally for him. <laughs> so him almost playing against that is trying to come off as sympathetic yeah. in the role. So the creepy's there just un- underlying the circus, but the uh, mm-hmm. surface, but the uh, sympathetic is really what's being pushed. So it you, comes off as this. You want the mask to be able to be put on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I can see that. I can definitely see that. Um, although on the other side of that, I, I want. I wanted somebody who could still be charismatic. Okay. Somebody you could believe that an organization follows. Yeah. At least for a time before they realize how nuts Fucking nutty. he is. Yeah. Um, but I wanted somebody who could also still uh, play kind of innocent 
like his father and throughout the movie is is sort of like denying that he could actually do all these things that he's capable of sure and then in the end he kind of thinks like nope nope you absolutely are completely insane uh i wanted somebody who could still play charismatic and childish but still be able to like switch it on and uh go completely frantic yeah um I don't necessarily need it to be on the same uh, same kind of wavelength that Brad Pitt was uh, writing, but I I still want the charisma because if he's going to be leading an organization, he has to be at least a little charismatic. Sure. Uh, so I went with Andrew Garfield. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, he does have the charisma. Yeah, for sure. I think he could pull crazy. I think he could pull it. I'm I, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. It's just I'm thinking I don't think I've seen him do anything quite like that before, though. So that's but I I love when I I get a chance to do that with actors too. It's like right. I want to see if you can do this. Yeah. So he's normally playing well. He's he's done a, some diverse stuff. Yeah. But for the most part, like if you want to keep him young, at least when you first meet the character, and then like time jump to another location or another place further on down the line with the character, and he's aged up a bit. You could see Andrew Garfield being younger or older than he actually is. Yeah, true. Kind of like, well, young Brad Pitt could have played, you know, late teens or late 20s at the same time. Sure. Yeah, there are a lot of actors are able to pull that off. I mean, that's how yeah. you get along in Hollywood a lot of the time. Mm, yeah. If you can play younger in your, if you're in your early 20s and you can play teens, you're going to get work. Because the teens, you know, there's things about how long you can work on a set and everything so if you're well not to mention the content you can film with them yeah absolutely yeah, yeah for sure so uh andrew garfield okay now i'm yeah. still i'm still like letting that kind of roll over a little bit like right. just kind of looking at scenes thinking about him in the roles and there's a curveball for you yeah yeah i like it i like swing it. for the fences uh speaking of curveball here uh dr peters yes is who i have for my next one now uh that is the gentleman that uh actually does release the virus he right. kind of pops up here and there throughout the film and he's very kind of intimidating very very soft-spoken doesn't say a lot right he has this very creepy vibe to him it's just the delivery that uh david morse pulled off in that role is so just unsettling yeah absolutely. from from the first moment you see him the first moment you you actually hear him talk he's just unsettling as a character yeah which is uh i think we were talking about this earlier it's like david morse has pulled off these wonderfully warm and fatherly and sure just like green mile is one of my personal favorites uh and and for me it was contact yeah uh just these wonderfully warm characters that you were you're, you just want to like like curl up and say daddy <laughs> <laughs> some people want to say daddy in one way yeah some yeah possibly yeah. other ways. Uh, i mean that that's also possible yeah <laughs> um but yeah david morse has uh pulled off this character very well in that that just unsettling creep factor mm -hmm. like where he's just so soft-spoken about it that you don't quite believe you don't like when you view the movie a second time and you go through it and you watch him again you get you 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 very much see where he was coming from from mm -hmm. the get-go but with the first viewing if you've never seen this movie before and you get that character on uh at the first time i mean i'm so sorry if you listen to this if you haven't seen this movie before but you you don't quite see him being that off the deep end no he just comes off as like kind of just a slightly weird dude yeah yeah i don't know when his conversation during the book signing is a little bit uh a and, lot and when you're if you're actually listening to what he's saying he's right. just trying to get all the information out like in a small little 
soundbite. Yeah, and he's getting drowned out by all these other characters who are coming up at the same time, and they're talking over him, and they they're they're wanting and. Uh, Madeline Stowe's character is like just not paying attention because you know she's at a book signing she's busy um and he's like this total fanboy and he just wants to tell her everything about his you know wonderfully brilliant plan mm-hmm. and you can just see it in his face and it's like I this is the one person who, who will understand yeah, absolutely. me absolutely yeah just oh so it it's kind of difficult to figure out how you would cast and play that character and I went with an actor that is both like I would not be playing the funny side of of his acting talents, but is definitely mm-hmm. one of my favorite comedic actors. Yeah, but also, especially with this TV series that he's on right now, has shown the ability to get real creepy and really kind of very expressive without saying a whole lot. Uh, he's currently starring in the I think Showtime show, uh, or is it HBO? Uh, Barry, uh, Bill Hader, the uh, comedic actor yeah. Bill Hader. He, I can absolutely see that. He is a part of the reason why he's so funny is because he can play an absolutely ridiculous scene and play it straight. Yeah, he he does great straight man, but he can also get buck fucking wild when he needs to be and be the funny weirdo. And yeah, weird is his wheelhouse. Oh, absolutely! Just the <laughs> so many of the characters he did on SNL was just being super fucking creepy, but in the in this amazing, hilarious way. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that if he was to kind of play a more muted approach to, you know, his creepy that he does on Barry, which you, if you haven't seen is an absolutely phenomenal show. <laughs> he is, it, it's, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah. He plays a, uh, a hitman that is uh, trying to get into acting. <laughs> He's trying to leave the hitman world behind and get into acting. Yeah. But he has All trouble right. like expressing himself because he's a fucking sociopath. Right. So he's just doesn't really understand human emotion very well. So he's trying to both like experience human emotion outside of the, the realm of like murdering people. Oh Jesus. Fucking method actors. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's the thing is that he gets mistaken for being method with a lot of this stuff. It's, <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. It's, it's an absolute stunning show. It's so good. And um, I, I've just been so overly impressed with it that I think I would love to see him play just a real kind of like under the skin, creepy kind of role. And I think this might be something really fun for him to play with. Yeah. There was a movie that was a few years back. And I think it had Tim Allen in it as a hitman. And it's actually a ridiculously serious movie. And this, and his, the character he's playing is very seriously a hitman. And the only reason it comes off very well is you, believe that tim allen is that much of a dick <laughs> i've always thought tim allen was a dick even when i was a kid yeah i'm watching like home improvement oh yeah um i was like yeah that don't worry everyone else on the cast thought so too yeah apparently yeah um and for me i was going uh uh for for dr peters i wanted somebody who could also pull off creepy like that's a key component to the character sure but I also needed to believe that this guy was like fully confident in what he believes. Sure. So I needed somebody who felt like a cult leader. Okay. You know? Uh, so uh, I was reading through the, uh, through the original notes about like who was originally up for the part of Cole. And I found out that uh, Jeff Bridges was the original choice to really? play. Yes. To play Cole. And I figured, you know, if he couldn't play Bruce Willis's part, he might as well come by, uh, come back and play the guy who ends the world. Oh, that's such a different approach to the character, but I really like it. Yeah. That would be super fun to see. That's, I, that's, I really like that. Cause yeah, it, it would not be played the same way at all. 
Absolutely. It'd be a totally different kind of approach to the character, but I really see it still working with the story. And what I really like is if you if you read his interviews from uh, when he was playing uh, Obadiah Stane in the original Iron Man. Sure. Uh, he fa- he became ridiculously fascinated with the fact that Obadiah is a biblical name. And this character with the idea of ending the world with seven golden vials filled with uh, God's fury, I think could really play up his desire to play a biblical villain. Yeah, that's okay. I dig it. Yeah, I absolutely dig it. I, I really like that choice. My uh, my last one that I have is uh, Jose, which uh, yep. is, is easy to kind of forget this character because it is a smaller character part. Right, but he's he's poignant. It's very important. It's uh, his buddy in the next cell over to him at the beginning of the movie. Right. Then he runs into him in the war that he gets... Sh- in, w- in World War One. World War One, In the French in the- trenches. Yes, he get- where he gets shot in the leg. Yeah. And he sees his buddy being carted off mm-hmm. uh, as a fellow time traveler. And then at the very end where he gives uh, Cole the gun. Yeah. That ends up being the reason why he's shot down, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wanted... Uh, for my series, I wanted a a nuanced actor, somebody that could do a lot with a small part. Yeah, it's they're not very big scenes, um, but they are very important to the progression of the story. Somebody that could just come out and just command the moment and yeah. really play nuanced as fuck. Really have a lot, add a lot of avenues to this character in a very short period of time. So you want a very expressive actor, and uh, I kept going back to Benicio del Toro. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that very well. Um, if only because he's got this weird cadence to his voice, cadence to his voice. And just that also with Aronofsky being the director, Mm -hmm. I, I really see him working relatively well with actors that just have like a a very, very kind of individual stylistic approach to the characters they portray, you know, they'd be able to kind of play in that space together relatively well and come up with a, just a real nice nuanced way to express what kind of personality this character has in a very short like a couple of seconds that he would have to really like establish this character. Absolutely. Yeah. Benicio is a fantastic actor. He'd be able to think, do pretty well with it. Yeah. Uh, And I kind of went with you on the same, on the same line with about like having presence in the scene immediately upon coming into it. Um, But I wanted, uh, I I kind of lent more towards somebody who can convey that in voice, if not necessarily in presence. Okay. Uh, So I went with uh, Bokeem Woodbine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Great actor. Absolutely uh, uh, underrated. I, I think uh, past like 1999, he didn't didn't quite get as much credit as he re- truly deserves. And honestly, the, what what brought me to Woodbine for this was uh, his work in the movie Breed, which oh okay is is at once terribly cheesy and awesomely fantastic movie. Uh, and he's a character who is pretty grounded, pretty, pretty realistic and pretty, you know, locked into his life at the beginning of the movie. And then he gets introduced to all of this weirdness as he goes through it. And he kind of reacts to it the way anyone would. It's like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. And I would actually like to see the Jose character, like, kind of go through that journey. And it's like, at first he's just like, hey, maybe you're getting a pardon. You're going to get out of prison. And then sure. he realizes... There's fucking time travel? <laughs> no shit. That's the thing that's actually missing from the original is somebody being like, it's fucking time travel. It's like the hell. This is a like, thing. E- even Cole going through the exact experience of everything just sort of seems blasé about the fact that he travels through time. He literally went back in time. Yeah. His, his first... I'm sorry, back in time. Uh, 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 
his first appearance in the movie, he's just sort of like, well, I'm in the wrong place. Shit. Like, he missed the bus. <laughs> right? I'm going to be late for work. Uh, I, yeah, I think that that's a very interesting take on the character. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I dig that. Now, the um, only other thing that I did for my cast list was I, I actually went through the effort to cast the scientists who show up. I was debating about that, and I just figured yeah. just whoever's uh, currently on the UB, uh, UCB uh, comedy uh, <laughs> troupe to be <laughs> part of the scientists, because they're just zany. Yeah. They're just super zany. And, you know, at the same time, though, like, I, I, like, I still got, a, like, a, a, a cabal of scientists just to throw into it. It doesn't necessarily have to be all of them, but okay. I just want to toss these names out at you. Sure, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You tell me what you think. Uh, Edward James Olmos. <laughs> I mean, yeah, done. Yeah. Uh, Bai Ling. Okay. Doug Jones. Ooh, I really like Doug Jones. Yeah. Uh, he's just, he he's probably one of the few roles where he's going to play it without makeup. Yeah, he looks like a caricature that Terry Gilliam would have come up with for exactly. one of his movies. Yeah. And my fourth, uh, my fourth one would have been uh, Kyle MacLachlan. Also pretty, yeah, you wouldn't, ha- you could not put them yeah. both next to each other, though. They would have to be, like, on the other side <laughs> of the table. <laughs> no, you put the two white guys on the outside, there and we the go. two people of color on the inside, and that's your you, scientist you got panel. The, you got the tall white guys as the bookends <laughs> like, to make sure nobody falls down. Yeah. So, I, I dig it. That's, yeah. that's fucking hilarious. Oh, man, I should have done that. <laughs> that's great. Now, we have our funny. Okay. And we don't have to spend nearly as much time going through these uh, reasons right, 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 for these right, right. characters. This is more just for fun. I decided to go fucking full on. Fuck it. Like, it's an abomination. It's <laughs> um, a possible hate mail, maybe death threats okay. for doing this. And I'm saying ahead of time, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. It's something so beloved, both as a director and, uh, and a film, 12 Monkeys by Terry Gilliam. And I decided to get it a total reimagining done by one Michael Bay. You're you're evil. Yeah, pure fucking evil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How dare you, sir? So I'm just gonna run down my list and then and we'll yeah, get, yeah. get yours here. Cause I I'm dying there's no reason to spend any real time on No. <laughs> none. <laughs> none at all. So Michael Bay, of course, we're gonna go with a straight up like action version of this. We're not gonna get the nuance. I hate you. <laughs> I uh it's gonna be you. a big fun splody kind of thing where you're the, he, the, you're you're loopering this movie. The basic no, because the <laughs> looper had some at, at least some nuance to it. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one part of Twelve Monkeys that kind of stays in but becomes a major plot point is that they are sending him in, in there for re- reconnaissance mm-hmm. because you can't change the past, and James Cole is convinced that he can, and so it's a constant struggle between the singular and the uh, and the, the multiverse. multiverse theory of time travel. And then, you know, you do the Michael Bay thing where at the end he actually does change of things because he's got to save the day. There's no like, I know, I know, but it's like really hard to change the past, but he ends up doing it. And somebody that has worked with Michael Bay before um, that I'd, I'd love to see him back. It's like one of the few he was involved in one of the few Michael Bay properties that I actually enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it would be super fun uh, in this like horrifying, terrible, should never be done way. James Cole played by Will Smith, the bad boy himself, playing James Cole. As as much as I believe Will Smith has the range, Michael Bay as director will just ruin it. Michael Bay directing 12 Monkeys with Will Smith as James Cole, yes. You regret now being on this episode, I understand completely. 
This is the trailer you're doing. This 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 version is the oh, trailer yes, you're for doing. Sure. Absolutely. You understand I have that? To. I have like to, I have to, to punish my, you for this. I have to own my terrible choices. I understand completely. All right. Continue. Catherine uh, Rayleigh, the love interest and doctor, mm-hmm. uh, as somebody who also worked with Michael Bay on the island, uh, ScarJo, Miss Scarlett Johansson. Now, originally I thought maybe that would be kind of too mean to add, cast her to it, and then I saw her comments recently about I should be able to play whatever yeah. character I want. So I went, cool. Well, you're going to be in a Michael Bay film then. Uh, <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm the that puppet. feels like an appropriate punishment. Uh, yeah, I'm the puppet master here. Con- considering how he treated, uh, um, oh, what's her face, um, Megan Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Scarjo. Made, made her fun. wash his car or something or something Just ridiculous. Unbelievable levels of like sexism and abuse. Yeah. Honestly, and I'm I don't blame her for qu- like I don't blame uh, I would have blamed her for quitting after the first movie. Honestly, but nope, yeah. nope. She stuck it out for two, and she's like, fuck this shit. Yeah, fair enough. She's the only smart one in that franchise. Now, uh, to make it even worse now is Jeffrey yeah. Goins. So you want somebody that can play a little bit like a little wild, a little crazy. Uh, and somebody, you know, much like Megan Fox returning to the fold in Ninja Turtles under Michael Bay after they're kind of falling apart after Transformers. This is another actor that would be kind of returning to the Michael Bay fold to play Jeffrey Goins, originally played Brad, Brad Pitt. We've got. Shia LaBeouf. Mm, I knew it was yep. coming and it happened anyway. Absolutely. So Shia LaBeouf uh, being twitchy and fast talking, you know, doing his uh, even Stevens kind of approach to the uh, character here. Make this go faster. Yes. Yes. Must now, go fast. Uh, I don't really have to get into more on that. Uh, yeah. For Dr. Peters, the gentleman that releases the virus in the first place, I always like to, if I can, find a way to call back an original actor from the original film to be in the right. remake or reimagining. So for Dr. Peters, I've got Bruce Willis as Dr. Peters. You know, in a, in, in the Michael Bay verse, I can see Bruce Willis being a scientist. Well, that's, that's, it's more like Henry Rollins and, and Johnny Mnemonic kind of right. an approach to the, uh, to the doctoring and sciencing. Yeah. It's like, I am, I am going to end the world with a super virus because, you know, I spend 16 hours a day in a gym. Yeah, clearly. Cause you know, doctors have all that time you know, on their, you know, 24 hour shifts. Major there. research scientists yes. definitely spend that much time in the gym. Absolutely. Makes sense. And for Jose, uh, this one I do feel bad about because I deeply love this actor. He's not only a great, like, comedic actor, but also has shown some real range on on just straight-up, like, dramatic acting as well. And it's unfair to put him in this position to be in a Michael Bay film, but for Jose, Michael Pena... Oh, as the as the fast talking buddy oh, side like man. ethnicity sidekick in a Michael Bay movie because there's always that there's always yeah, like the no the, you hit the nail on the, the head the ethnic sidekick in the Michael oh, Bay first so yeah that's what he, Jose would be reduced to in this version another Marvel cast another Marvel cast yes for yeah. sure you can't escape it at this point, no really. honestly you can't I and mean, there's like eighty two thousand actors in yeah the no Marvel I already movies, so. I, I did it again too on my, on my version anyway so all right so no. yeah that that's the abomination there's no way that yours is uh more cringy than mine I'm pretty sure you did that to hurt me <laughs> I did actually a little bit yeah, yeah. all right <laughs> um for my I, I don't want to say quite you know comedic but definitely more lighthearted okay. version, which, you know, it's kind of hard to find that in a, uh, an Terry Gilliam it's, film. It's, it's not a uh, Judd Apatow <laughs> yeah. joint or no, anything? No, Um I I went with the idea that uh, this movie kind of starts grounded, kind of. Okay. And then it gets, like, fantastical with the way the time travel is presented. There's no real, like, mechanics to it. They don't really define rules. It's just more of, like, story, plot, elements, reason, why, X, whatever. And I tend to appreciate the time travel movies and and shows that don't 
try to over explain how time travel works so much as just it does and then get to the plot right it's very star trek in that in in that way that it's just this is the technology it exists this is how uh, this is what we're using it for carry on yeah um but i wanted to go with more of that like exploring the fantastical and the sort of like trippy mind effects so for my less serious, more lighthearted version, that's kind of like a fairy tale, but like with real world characters, I went with Guillermo del Toro. I, I dig it. Um, definitely more uh, funny. Isn't no funny's not right. Right, but definitely more lighthearted. It's definitely not the same genre of movie with him it's, behind the helm. It's a different, a different species of charm than yeah. Terry Gilliam has. Ter- Terry Gilliam has charm, but it's with a much more demented nature behind it. Right. Whereas Guillermo, there's definitely like, even in his dark films, there's mm-hmm. this kind of almost like wistful, whims- whimsical charm yeah. um, in a dark kind of tone. Right. Know? And that's where kind of where I wanted to go with it. Um, in, in my version with uh, uh, James Cole, I, again, tapped another Marvel actor for this. Um, it, but I did it for both leads. So I'm more terrible than you for one moment <laughs> okay uh i went with anthony mackie okay yeah I, he i'm very excited to see where his career takes him uh yeah where he's gonna have a little bit more wiggle room with the with uh the next couple years as they're getting mm-hmm. the the next phase of mcu happening and, and then he's gonna have no time at all because yeah of, honestly you know. i'm i'm i am excited to see him you know carry the shield and all that yeah. but uh uh it's it's his other f- projects that i find very interesting like uh uh his work with spike lee and his uh uh other project uh he did a version of a philip k dick novel uh i think it was called the um oh the adjustment bureau there you go yeah that's the one no yeah he he was really good in that that was before he was like anthony mackie he was right you know established actor but he wasn't nearly how he is now yeah and i think that's uh, that might be one of the things that a lot of these marvel actors are going to get caught up into is they're going to be associated too much with these roles as being action stars and comic book movies that they're not going to get back to the reason they were cast in the first place is because they have the range to play these characters throughout which essentially different genre movies within the same series i believe it's the first episode of the new season of black mirror mm-hmm. that it's got anthony mackie in it and uh it's very interesting conversation about sexuality that comes from that episode well and, cons- considering his work with spike lee that's not surprising that he'd yeah. be willing to do that and I, I it's one of those that it's not even like about sexuality that we know it to be it's mm-hmm. it's black mirror so they of course yeah. went wild with it it's definitely like a a thinker uh episode Mm -hmm. for sure the dude's got acting chops no he's he's amazing yeah um so moving down my list my version of uh catherine and this version would be i went my opposite direction the you know i went from you know going from experienced and very dedicated and somebody who looks like they've been in the practices a long time with jillian anderson i went for somebody you know more on the lines of where madeline stowe was at the same time in her career okay i went with uh somebody who could still convey experience though uh i went with diane kruger diane kruger um inglorious bastard she was uh bridget von hammersmark oh, right, right 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 okay yeah i was like i knew the name so well oh yeah yeah it's a it's one of those names it's kind of hard to miss um i think she's uh she's she's definitely got the the ability to uh convey that that same amount of vulnerability and uh, wistfulness to be able to accept that, you know, strange shit is afoot. Yeah, at, at least finally accepting it, not just leaning on your like, no, this can't possibly happen, so it's not. Right. Um, all right, and moving down my list. Uh, so we've got Goins again. 
And uh, this time I went more for a character who was much more charismatic and less about like being able to be manic. Uh, somebody I believe who could like convince people to follow him, sure. even you know to their detriment. Uh, Evan Peters. Evan Peters, I do know that name. Uh, he played Quicksilver in uh, um, oh, Sony oh, oh, X-Men. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Fox X-Men. Or Fox X-Men, yeah. yeah. Um, I think he's got uh, he's got parts in um, American, American Horror, Horror Story. Story as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah good actor. He's, yeah, he, absolutely. I mean, to be able to be in all those seasons of American Horror Story, you need to be a little bit diverse in your way you can play exactly. a character. And for a character that needs to switch faces from whew, off the walls to, you know, yeah, I believe you could organize people. Sure. For a minute. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, and then we go down to Dr. Peters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted somebody who could uh, still convey, like, cult leader. Uh, so I went back to uh, um, Independence Day, and I found myself Brent Spiner. Brent Spiner, nice. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I like I like Brent Spiner. So, yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. I think after Star Trek, that guy really got screwed as far as like available roles. He played in one season of a sci-fi series that uh, he also starred uh, Peter Dinklage mm-hmm. called uh, Threshold. Yep, and I deeply enjoyed that show. Right, it was a fantastic show, and it just made it one season. It was a little bit kind of a weird approach to an alien invasion story. Yeah. So it just didn't really connect with the right number of people, but yeah, he was great in it. Yeah. He's a fantastic actor and he just honestly doesn't get enough work. Yeah. And I want to give him every role that I can. Your, your Trekkie is showing. Um, uh, very obviously give all my friends work. Yes. (laughs) I mean, Patrick Stewart gets to work. Come on. That's true. All right. Um, going down, uh, down my list, uh, we come to the, uh, Jose character. And in this version, I wanted to switch it up a bit and do somebody who, you know, can still do silly, um, but can also do uh, kind of like I can believe he would turn on me, even if he does pretend to be my friend. Sure. Patrick Wilson. Patrick. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Patrick Wilson. Yeah. There's something even when he's not playing a sinister role. I think the nicest version of a character that he has ever played was in Phantom of the Opera. Okay. <laughs> like he, every other character he's played, it's like, yeah, you're like kind of on my side, but you're kind of a dick about it, or you're just straight up a dick. Yeah. Like uh, uh, the 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 A team, and he's just just an asshole. Yeah. All the way through, and after I, I saw that, like right after I had saw uh, saw three hundred, no, not three hundred, Watchmen for the first time. Yep. And it's like in that character uh, in that role, he's like. Yeah, broken, like, Batman, but, like, still, you know, I could believe you're a dick. Like, I could believe you could interrogate people. When the cards are on the table and you got to be... The owl. Yeah, then that happens. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I want that same ability because the the Jose character goes from, like, hey, I'm on your side. I'm trying to help you out. I'm trying to f- rescue you out of the trenches of, you know, World War One. to, dude, if you don't do this, I will shoot your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Okay. I dig it. Yeah. Right. Uh, that was my whole cast. That was your casting. Okay. Yeah. So we, we came up with four different versions of uh, 12 Monkeys movie. And, you know, I still say it all works in my Rashomon version, except for Michael Bay. Michael Bay. <laughs> Fair enough. Michael Bay never works. Michael Bay. Uh, <laughs> Michael Bay actually just produces now for the most part. <laughs> Thank God. So um, we're now in the matchups part. 
Yes. And uh, I have a couple ideas on what to mash this up with, but mm-hmm. uh, do you have any any ideas? Well, I think the very obvious thing to mash up 12 Monkeys with is Planet of the Apes. Okay. <laughs> Both involve monkeys and time travel, so... Exactly. Yeah. Um, but in the re- uh, in the reboot version of uh, the Planet of the Apes series, the thing that wipes out humanity is an intentionally produced virus. That's true. That wipes out humanity and then puts animals back in charge of the planet. That's pretty damn close to Twelve Monkeys, right? Minus so the, the like the animals, the animals, animals. become intelligent yeah. because of the disease in the reimagining version of Planet uh, the Planet of the Apes series. So I think if you're going to combine them, you have like, I don't know how deep this is going to be, but beneath the planet of the apes, the original uh, part of the original series, they destroyed the world because there was a cult of humanity who wanted to take back over control of the planet. And instead they activated a nuclear bomb and destroyed everything. Yeah. Instead of that, have the cult of humans who still remember being in charge of the planet underneath in the subterranean living Sure. Are the time travelers from Twelve Monkeys, and they're trying to prevent the disease that oh, took them off from the top of the planet. That's really good. Yeah. That's well, well done. Yes. So <laughs> that little monster together. That that was that's an original uh, original book turned into a movie, rebooted, and then combined with our reboot version of a movie based <laughs> off of a short film. <laughs> When Congratulations. Uh, when they called America the melting pot, they were actually just talking about your idea for this uh, yeah. mashup here. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, one of mine, and it's kind of just a fun, stupid idea, is that um, just a little cursory... I've always liked the idea of just adding a uh, TARDIS into movies randomly, even oh, just in the Jesus. background. <laughs> but just there being at that last scene in 12 Monkeys where... Uh, he gets shot mm-hmm. where Cole gets shot and he's like dying and stuff. You just have like the doctor lean down and you see just a TARDIS in the background, <laughs> like in, in the main like thoroughfare of the, of the airplane. It's like, I'm, I'm sorry, my friend, but it's a fixed point in time or something. And oh, just, that's like, just cruel. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> just like, I, I wish I could have saved you. I was capable of, but there are some things you just can't change, you know? Oh, and, and then, then it's kind of like, yeah, you actually, you know, you can change the past. Just not this, uh, as the final like fuck you at the end of it. That is just so mean. Yeah, so mean and dark. Yes. <laughs> oh, I mean the new, you know, the new Doctor Who series uh, that they kind of specialize in dark. They definitely got a little bit darker with yeah. their approach to stuff for sure. So mean. Yeah, but that that was the one mashup that I came up with for both. Oh, so. oh, well, the other one that I came up with was uh uh. This one plays more with the Guillermo del Toro version. Okay. You know, he, he likes playing with fantasy, fairy tale, you know, stuff that's more fantastical than necessarily science fiction-y. Sure. So uh, I wanted to combine this one with The Prophecy with Christopher Walken. Okay. Um, and that there's, there's this whole thing in that series of movies about, like, humanity needs to be ended. And there's all these biblical references in the original... 12 monkeys about like god's gonna come down and he's gonna you know open these seven vials you know what just just throw in the archangel of death too let's do this let's yeah. let's go full fucking ham like that that moment where uh coming back to kevin smith where when he was writing red state originally and he said the original ending that he was writing was that the apocalypse did happen the rapture actually happens and an <laughs> angel comes down and he kills the psychotic priest it's like you know what let's do that 
this guy's going to end the world with a disease? No, no. You see, seven vials for seven archangels. Okay. Yeah. Make it biblical as shit. Damn right. And bring in Christopher Walken as God. <laughs> so he's got the promotion. Let's do this. Nice. <laughs> now, I was thinking about your mashup, and I think I'm going to steal that. Mm-hmm. But then put it into my Michael Bay universe. Oh, God. And then incorporate the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles of Michael Bay's universe as one of the hyper-intelligent animals that comes from uh, the the Dominion over the Earth. So I, 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 <laughs> I want to be angry, but I can't be. That's actually brilliant. That's a good reason. They end up becoming like the, the you know, the muscle. <laughs> <laughs> the apes are just like, nah, you take care of it, turtles. Now, here's the question. In that version, do the turtles decide that they want to do the right thing and save five billion lives? Or are they fighting against Cole? Well, that would be kind of the fun part is that now you have all these like super intelligent apes fighting like humanity and ninja turtles. I'm down. I mean, I mean, it's 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 stupid spectacle. That is like that's like Mega Shark versus Octopus. You're or pretty whatever. close to. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Michael Bay, if you want to send those checks this way uh, for the idea, we deeply appreciate it. Mutant turtles versus super apes in, a, in an effort to stop the apocalypse, which wipes out humanity with a disease. Done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I would see that this, movie. I'd, I'd actually pay to see that. <laughs> yeah. So that's how we make a Michael Bay movie work. You just go so, so big that it's just utterly ridiculous. Speaking of it works for Fast and the Furious. It does. It, in fact, does. Uh, but speaking of ridiculous, we are at the end of the episode, which means it's time for trailers. Oh, my favorite part. I know. I'm super excited about this. So mm-hmm. let me get the music <laughs> queued up. Humanity is regulated to live in underground. We have lost control. We live like worms. One man is given a chance to find answers, to find the truth. But can he do it before he loses his mind? This summer, Jeremy Renner, Jillian Anderson, Andrew Garfield, with Jeff Bridges and Bokeem Woodbine, Jim Jarmusch's 11, 12, 13, 12 monkeys. I like you put a little bit of that Terry Gilliam with the holy hand grenade in there of like overcounting and then going back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking of like the actual poster, right? Like, because it's supposed to be like something that happens at the same time, but it could have happened before, but it could have happened after the original Bruce Willis story. So it's like the graphic of like 11 scratched out, 12 scratched out. 13 scratched out 12 written in big numbers <laughs> monkeys all right i uh i apologize for what's about to happen okay it's gonna be bad and uh yeah i'm clearly gonna have to do the michael bay version like there's son of a bitch yeah so hold on to your tits humanity because your future's on the line this summer, not only do explosions save the future, but so does James Cole, played by Will Smith, in Michael Bay's 12 Monkeys. One man is sent back to the past to figure out 
how to stop a virus. Or even if you can stop a virus. And and that's a ba- the bad boy, Will Smith. His sweet sugar baby, his 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 sweet sweet love interest, his his sex icon is Catherine Rayleigh, played by Scarlett Johansson, who can play any role she wants. And then Jeffrey Goins, a fellow in in, in a from an insane asylum, who starts the Twelve Monkeys uh, to, to start shit up, is from even Stevens, Shia LaBeouf. This summer, watch Bruce Willis come back into the world of 12 Monkeys as evil apocalypse guy, Dr. Peters, and then except it's explosions instead of viruses. It, it's a virus that explodes, that will ruin the world. And the only friend that James Cole has is Jose, played by Michael Pena, that will describe the movie as it happened as he was told by a friend how it happened at the end of the credits, at the end of the movie. This summer, 12 Monkeys Redux. Yeah, so that's pretty accurate, I think. I am in physical pain <laughs> after that. So that, that's what it would look like for my no, that, to... No, uh, that's, that's disturbingly Hold on to your tits. Predictive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the sad part is I could honestly see that happening. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly that, like that. Another sad part is we are at the end of this episode of Smack My no. Pitch Up. I know, but we will be back next week with another fantastic episode. I want to thank my panelist, Jack, for coming on and helping me discover the the possibilities that exist within a uh, reboot or reimagining a remake of 12 Monkeys. I'm always here for you, buddy. Appreciate you. And I want to thank you guys for listening. I also want to thank everybody that has voted for the Geeks Under the Influence podcast as the best podcast in Richmond uh, for 2019 by the Times Dispatch and Richmond.com. There's a few more days to vote. Uh, the voting ends at, I believe, midnight on the 21st, which is Sunday. So you have all Sunday until midnight going into the 22nd to vote for the best podcast in Richmond. And uh, so you have a couple days uh, left to vote for us. You can vote every day and tell your friends, uh, share the link. It'll, it'll give you a link option when you vote. Share the link with your, uh, your friends on your social media. Let them know that this is a podcast you care about and you want to see us, uh, I don't know, win. It's bragging rights. I mean, we don't get like money or anything. It's just bragging rights, which, but you know. That's it, worth it. It helps exposure as well. It allows other people to get the chance to listen to great shows like this one. So vote. Uh, join us on all of our special events in town. Uh, we've got a blue, booze clues coming up on the fourth of August at the Dark Room in the Hofheimer Building again. All I that information. To behave this time. <laughs> you know what? It, the crowd's been getting bigger. Yep. And it's it's been getting wilder. So definitely come check it out. August fourth in the Dark Room. Uh, doors at seven. Show at eight. And uh, all that information is at guipodcast.com. Remember to rate and review us on on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your shows. And uh, subscribe, share with your friends, tell the world about Smack My Pitch Up, and we'll see you here next time for another episode. I'm Mike the Hobbit, and you just got pitch smacked. GUIPodcast.com.